But when I stopped worrying about that, realizing I could be more efficient by just being in the encounter the whole time, I realized that it was a much more rewarding encounter with the patient. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, everybody. I'm Kim Skorupski. You've tuned into our H3 series, The Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. And today we have Dr. Veninder Vinny Dillon. Hi, Vinny. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I am great. I'm looking at your picture and I just remember your smiling face from our leadership courses where you would drive into Baltimore from Bethesda. And you're usually the first one there, which made me think that this is a person who gets things done and is organized enough to get to the early morning class from Bethesda, which was not an easy drive. And it made me think, what a perfect person to talk to because whenever I want something done or the old mantras, you ask the busiest person you know. Clearly, just the fact that you showed up to those leadership courses, had the longest drive, and you're always the first one there, told me something. But why don't we start today's episode by tell people who you are and what you do here at Hopkins. First of all, well, thank you for having me. I, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and the fellow listeners of the podcast. I, um, going back to the leadership classes, that was actually my favorite drive up to Baltimore. <laughs> as many times I have to drive super early only because traffic would otherwise not allow me to get there on time. But when I would show up early for the leadership mornings, it was one of my favorite times because it was always relaxed and I didn't have to rush to get anywhere. And I knew the morning was going to be super productive and educational. So I work within the Department of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery. I was actually a fellow at Johns Hopkins and trained in both laryngology, which is voice, swallow, and breathing, as well as endocrine surgery, um, which is thyroid parathyroid surgery. So I finished my fellowship there in 2017 and decided to stick around and be part of the faculty, primarily in the national capital region. So that's where I'm primarily based with both clinic and the hospital. And um, I practice both, actually. I've been fortunate enough to be able to practice both laryngology and endocrine surgery um, as part of the group. So that's sort of my subspecialty. Oh, wow. Fancy. And you are, um, how are you getting your promotion packet together for associate professor? I am. I'm actually looking to get a promotion within the clinical track the clinical excellence track. So yes, I am working on that currently. Um, And with the new uh, clinical excellence track, uh, my goal ultimately, because my practice is really clinical, I would say 80 to 90% clinical. um, And most of the research I do is clinical research that I'm really looking forward to that promotion within that track. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're so excited about that new track. We had just the first two faculty members promoted on the clinical excellence pathway uh, were women. So we are so proud to be promoted to associate professor. So that was a great accomplishment. We love being able to acknowledge and celebrate our clinician investigators. So what habits and healthy hacks and routines and practices uh, were you wanting to share with us today? Well, we could kind of break this, I guess, down into hacks I would use at work and hacks (laughs) that I use at home to create that work-life balance. In terms of work, about four years now into being at the practice down in the National Capital Region. So 
it's been a lot of trial and error in terms of figuring out the best balance with time and efficiency when you're, you know, you're seeing 15 to 20 patients a day. And that's sort of my routine. I, I'm in clinic about two to three days a week. So it's a busy day once I'm at work. And I think the things that I've learned while I'm at work sort of balance out the day is one, when I'm taking care of a patient, I'm really focused on that time in the room with the patient. And that really means I don't really sit at the computer and do much typing. I'm sort of sitting there with the patient and listening and talking and examining and kind of coming up with a plan. But I always try and save about five, seven minutes at the end such that I can leave and walk into my own office, write down a few notes about the clinical encounter and take a minute to sort of write down the key points for myself. And that way, I feel like I can manage my end of the day routine, which is basically note taking, <laughs> which it used to take me a long time to kind of sort through how to handle the clinical documentation. But I found that if I sort of engage in this routine, it's it's good with the patient because the patient's happy that we had sort of a one-on-one intimate conversation. And at the end of that encounter, I'm able to quickly remember everything I need to so that I can move on with the next patient and then at the end of the day not feel so overwhelmed. I also found that I saved probably about an hour or two hours at the end of my day having to sit in my office alone while (laughs) while the clinic was closed and and it got dark outside such that I'd be coming home super late and this way I can come home a little bit earlier and feel like I sort of finished everything I needed to in terms of taking care of work at work and then coming home and not having to kind of carry it on into the evening or the next day. So I found that that was personally uh, a lot less overwhelming for me. That t- you're talking about something that I've read in the literature and the, you know, the joy of medicine and the burnout literature called pajama time, where clinicians mm-hmm. would be at home and they're just charting and entering data. And I, you know, I'm not a clinician, so I'm ignorant about all of this. I am just impressed that you said you leave five, seven minutes, run down to your office, jot some notes down. And then at the end of the day, when you do the more intensive charting, uh, you remember just from some keywords. I, I'm still impressed that with 15, 20 patients, a couple key points, you can still remember all that stuff. Because I think I'd be like, wait a minute, was that one this one or this one or the other one? So I guess I could you just help me understand, like, what is this habit that you do? How is it different from maybe what you used to do or what you see other because you said you've saved one to two hours. So what was like the inefficient way for you before to help me put this in context or help me understand it better? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. So for example, when I, um, when I first started, I used to, I have a template, like, like most providers, they have a template for their note. And I, what I would do it is I would just try and fill in my template blanks. And I felt like I was filling in blanks rather than remembering the patient. If that makes sense, I was sort of filling in the clinical issue, the acute issue at hand, but I wasn't really kind of capturing the whole patient's story such that I could remember the patient even hours after I'd seen them. So it felt like I was getting details, but not the big picture of what was going on, what I had seen, what I had kind of come to the conclusion of what the patient and I discussed in terms of a treatment plan. So when I used to do it that way, and I will, I will admit, I used to sit in the room and type sort of listening, but sort of 
it was almost rope, just wrote whatever the patient said, just writing it in quickly. I wasn't really listening to the patient and what was going on at the time, what I was going to see on exam and how that was going to influence, you know, the management. And by sort of stepping away from having to do that at the time of the actual visit with the, with the patient, instead I put the computer away. I would sit down and I'd spend, you know, about half an hour in that session with the patient, maybe 25 minutes to leave that five minutes at the end. And it would wrap up in my head as this is, this is this gentleman or this woman and this is their chief complaint and this is the story behind the complaint and this is the exam and this is the conversation we had. And so I would be able to leave the whole encounter and write something down that was more relevant such that I could kind of pick up and kind of narrate the story again and using my template later on, but it would be so much faster. That is um, fascinating. You know, you're making me think of the Myers-Briggs the second two-letter combination, sensors or intuitors, and the sensors are the details and the intuitors are the big picture. And to me, what you've described, I can see it in my head, even though I don't know nothing about what you're talking about, that if you are, if you know, have a template and someone is talking to you, and it's not even having a conversation because they're talking at you while you're doing something in that instance, you are, you know, the template. So when they're saying something, a piece of data, you're like, oh, that's going to go in this box or that's going to go in that box. And so you're looking for pieces, like you said, to fill on those blank spots. And so now you're focused on filling holes in a template versus the whole like you said, the story. And as soon as you started talking, I'm like, oh, she's talking about the story, the story. And then it made me think of um, going up for promotion when we have this online tool that we're, we're switching from. It used to be called Nomination Manager, not to Interfolio. But in the Nomination Manager, it's the same thing. You're, you're filling out a tool. So the faculty member is like looking how many papers, how many talks, how many this, how many that, mm-hmm. how much, how much, how much. They're putting in numbers and pieces of data. And then it's harder, I think, or it's a challenge to think, well, what is my story? What is my story of my research career and the impact I'm making? And that's kind of the, the juxtaposition of when you're in the details, the the, the mm-hmm. specifics can sometimes obscure the big picture story. So I just love how in this one example, you've kind of demonstrated not only personality preferences, but that attentiveness to realizing when we are obsessing perhaps or focused on minutiae and failing to see the big picture of anything. Yeah. Yeah. I realize that that's also the way I sort of remember things better. It's it's the same thing. I, I don't know. I correlate that as, you know, people have facial recognition or name recognition when they meet someone or, or, or when they see something, there's sort of a visual or a memory behind it. And that's something that I've always been, I kind of honed in that that's something I can, I'm much better at doing that, remembering the whole story than the detail. Although I think I was just, when I first started, I just didn't know how to handle the balance. And I've realized that if I just let go of having to handle the paperwork up front and just continue to handle the clinical encounter and the patient that I could come back and replay it in my head and it would just be the the documentation wasn't the issue it was more just the patient and then I could come back and the documentation was sort of secondary and it got it got faster ironically it became more efficient that way (laughs) um just to fall into that but that's something that I I also know that as someone that's been a patient too that it's nice 
when the doctor is looking at you, sitting with you and talking with you rather than sitting behind a computer, which has always been something I've been consciously like that's not something I want to do, but I was again overwhelmed by the documentation. But when I stopped worrying about that, realizing I could be more efficient by just being in the encounter the whole time, I realized that it was a much more rewarding encounter yeah. with the patient. That's a great learning experience. How I just want to put briefly, I don't want to throw you too far off track here, but you know me, extroverts, you know, we talk to think, but I, is this too sci-fi? And maybe this, maybe someone out there is already doing this in the world, but I remember five or six years ago talking to Janice when we were talking about our clinicians and the workload and the struggle of our generating RVUs, but also then the new Epic and the new Epic rollout and all this, just all the labor involved in the click, the click, 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 you know, a thousand clicks a day. And I said, well, Mm -hmm. I can't believe that we don't have the technology where we have these smart rooms. You know, if this crazy Alexa woman uh, in who sits in my kitchen, you know, yaks at me all day long and can figure out stuff for me and set timers for me, which is basically the level of my sophistication with my Alexa. um, Why can't we have these smart rooms where as soon as, you know, the clinician walks in the room, the door shuts, like the recording, you know, like the Zoom, Zoom, this Zoom is being recorded, like this patient encounter is being recorded. And the Zoom would, in the room, would record some of that nitty gritty, tidbitty stuff. And then mm-hmm. you, you know, could then go at, at after the day is done and you've seen your patients, you could fast forward through the encounter, the recording or it's, or somehow like capture the story, you know, in the bigger picture. Is that too far fetched? Or do you know, is if that's, is that happening to any degree, a smart room? I've not heard of that. I mean, I've certainly, but I've seen that or been participatory in anything like that. I mean, it's a great idea. I think the issue may, I mean, it, issue maybe with HIPAA right. that the that it be somehow encrypted or or saved such that it you know the the access is really only meant to be for doc, you know clinical yeah. documentation purposes rather than it being a, a conversation with a patient that may go out into the world that may not be <laughs> um, HIPAA okay. protected. That's true. Um, there's all that. I forgot um, about all that stuff. But there, everything. Yeah, like, I mean, the- I think that's the limiting factor, <laughs> probably for for healthcare. It's just um, the patient encounter is a yeah. is a you know patient protected and you know confidentiality. It's a you know time of confidentiality with the door closed. So I'm not sure if that's part of it. I I know from an exam standpoint, which may be a little bit unique, but it obviously is relevant for other specialties that have some form of technological um, recording. I mean, I record exams using a, a scope, which is, you know, done through the nose and through the mouth to evaluate the back of the throat and the voice box, because that's sort of the evaluation that I have to complete in order to really know if there's anything abnormal with the symptomatology for laryngology. That's sort of part of our exam. And so that we have a whole system tower that records the patient exam um, that I can review. But again, that's all encrypted. So that does help me in terms of uh, what was the exam findings. Let me go back into the room and review it on the the system tower, which we have in the room. But the actual encounter, I feel like unless I'm present and paying attention and really trying to get the big picture, it, 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 like you said, it's just recording of minutia that, you know, you don't really put together in any sort of comprehensive fashion unless you're really 
going in the, the mindset that you want to get the, you know, from A to Z yeah. <laughs> of the encounter. And then I can imagine that would be so, I would be one of these people who would be out of my mind because I would feel like, well, I have to finish everything as I go along. And I would be killing myself at the end of the day. Then I would be one of those people who is a complete wreck because I would feel like, I would feel like, oh, I've got 20 unfinished cases. And that would, that I'd have to really wrap my head around. I started 20 things, you know, 20 patients and I didn't finish them. Rather, so you, you, you know, and have figured out, obviously, and you're not the only one, I'm sure, that they're just efficiencies in any process. And so I, I just like how you've, you played that out, identified opportunities to not only be efficient for your time, but also build a relationship with the patient. Because as we all know, there's so much to be said and learned between the lines. And when you listen to people and watch them and, you know, as well, I think it's Sarah Andrews, one of her twin girls said, you know, no, no, mommy, listen to me with your face. Listen to me with your face. You know, don't <laughs> when you l- listen to somebody and look at them. There's just so much to be learned. So I think there's so much value in what you said, not only in time, but in quality of life and quality of encounters. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. 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 No, if I, I just to add to that with, with that comment about listening with your face, it's funny because I feel like after I started doing that too, when patients call or patients leave a message with the office and they leave it as, you know, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, I'm like, oh yeah, that was that person with that story. Like, I feel like I'm better. Yeah. I, I remember better now because I, it was a full encounter that I'm like, I know who that person is. You know, it was not somebody I have to look up again because there's a facial and, you know, story, like there's a face and a story attached to it. So yes. yeah, I, I agree with that. So what else would you want to share with us today? To add to this, I guess the, the part B of what I had started to say about the, the, the life balance, um, in terms of hacks at home, I think one of the things I carried forward with me ever since I probably was a medical student, not resident, was when, when I come home, I try and do something active. I mean, I, I like to, as I mentioned, I like to leave work at work and be efficient about it. But when I come home, one of the first things I've always tried to maintain is to do something active where I, I usually go, there's some form of outdoor activity, usually in the form of a run or a walk or, you know, going to, before COVID, going to a fitness class and just sort of taking that time to do some self-care. Uh-huh. I think that's helped me maintain just overall a good mental focus when I do have to come back, even in the evenings if there is work to still be done or right. even housework or family time. I just feel like I've had me time. And I think that that's been something very important to me. It's sometimes difficult. It's not always easy, especially when it's been a long day, but even 10, 15 minutes of that me time has been very beneficial. Oh yeah. Yeah. That I hear that over and over and over. That's just a common theme I, you know, of course, my whole life's been in academia, but that just seems to be the prevailing theme among ac- academics is just physical fitness and needing that 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 re- that release and that kind of um, physical motion. Because so many of us, you're either you know in seeing patients, and at least if you're a clinician, you're probably running around from office to office. But for you know PhD researchers, many of the many of us, we just sit all day long and look at a screen all day. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're just not really physically, we, you know, most of us are sedentary too much. So 
the body, you know, our body just needs to breathe and move and ambulate around the world and, and see people and breathe air and get sunshine. So that seems to be mm-hmm. a common theme that we all, all you know, have in common. And I know that when, when I am under a, tr- you know, an extraordinary amount of stress, the first thing that goes is that self care. And that's how I know. Mm-hmm. When, um, mm-hmm. not as if, you know, you, what do you mean you don't, you didn't know that you're under stress? So that to me, of course, well, sometimes you're just kind of in the thick of it and you don't realize how you're running, running, you're go, 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 go at work. But then you realize, oh my gosh, you know, it's been three days since I've, you know, run or I haven't, you know, had enough water today or I'm not sleeping well. That's like, oh, that's right. That's the, my body starts telling me when I'm overstressed and I'm not, I'm out of balance. So that mm-hmm. awareness of, like you said, even just 15, 20 minutes or crying out loud, even 10 minutes just you know, is better than nothing, right? Yeah, no, it is. I, I think in the era of Zoom, one other thing I realized is sometimes it's nice to take like the, the grand rounds or the, <laughs> the Zoom meeting where it's not necessarily, it's more of a listening Zoom. I can take that while I'm going for my walk. (laughs) Um, So I, you know, that sort of ability to sometimes you can't just break away at the end of the day, even though maybe the end of the work day, there may be something, some other commitment for work, but to sort of do that while you're outdoors or active or doing something where you can kind of participate in both, it, it kind of helps um, balance out the rest of the, the rest of your personal time than the rest of that evening or day. That's been something that I've found to be, Okay. That's a good well. suggestion that, you know, the technology has been great for us, but also the, the, the blessing part of it is obvious, but the curse part of it has also become more obvious as well. When you're right, you see mm-hmm. these Zoom after Zoom after Zoom after Zoom and mm-hmm. realizing, well, nobody says, is there a law that you have to have your camera on and you have to be on the Zoom? Can't you be one of these people who's calling in, like you said, and put your earbuds in and march around your, your block or march around the neighborhood? So I... I finally kind of had that one of those duh moments myself, but I'm like, what am I doing sitting here in my basement? You know, as I was joking with you, my, my moldy, um, damp basement, like a, like a mushroom. Why don't I, why do I have to keep sitting here looking at the screen? I can go and sit in my backyard. It was in the summer and call mm-hmm. in there. The zoom link has a call in number, Kimberly. Hello. So I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I could do that. So I actually said, okay, right. So I called in and yeah, they said, great. Oh, Kim, what? Why don't, why aren't you in your, turn your camera on? Why, we miss seeing you. And I'm like, sorry, you know what I look like? I look the same as I looked yesterday. I'm sitting outside on my phone. I need some sunshine. And that's the whole other part of that, giving yourself the grace and the mercy and other people as well, especially during mm-hmm. these times. Like, you know, we have to kind of refrain from judging and being so harsh and critical on ourselves mm-hmm. as well as other people because these times and hopefully that we come out of this we'll have a heightened sensitivity to just needs that people have that we can't just be these automatons who are just marching like you know crazy robots all day long and not realizing mm-hmm. that our bodies are gonna and our minds and our souls are gonna feel the effects of this right yep they're completely right yeah so that's that's something i i, I think that's something i've carried forward you know, through COVID too, it's been, keeps me kind of sane. I think the other thing that I've realized again, with the understanding that there is some element of telework now, probably more than before. I mean, there are days where, you know, I I can do the work from home rather than go into the office because 
office is still connected to the clinic and there's so many people in the clinic. So we have to kind of respect that sort of distance, social distance that, you know, we have to maintain at the office. So when I do do work from home, I like to try and get up early. Um, I think um, earlier than I used to, especially even on a weekend. And I like to do more work in the morning than I, because that's the time I'm the most productive. I feel when I have to kind of collect thoughts or address things that I've been holding, you know, off or putting off all week because of work. Um, I, I tend to find that the morning time with a cup of coffee and my computer is just yeah. a lot nicer. And, <laughs> and uh, me, again, me time. Um, but it, it, it allows me to feel like rewarded that I've gotten the work done that I needed to. And I had the whole day still ahead of me for other things. Yeah. I love that. That's such an, a nice reminder too. I, I love the mornings as well. And I love a nice mellow welcoming into my morning versus pre COVID. It'd be like a shot up out of bed in the shower, out the door, like a maniac in traffic and flying like a, like a nutcase. And now it's a total transition to a, I feel like a coffee commercial in the morning where I, you know, get up and leisurely and read and build in that, like you said, that time and that a little extra time is, is um, it does pay off. And, and then something else I've noticed with the COVID that kind of gets to what you're saying is that because of the Reliance now on technology and the socially distance. And so we're working. It's not, you're not punching a clock, you know, eight to five or, you know, nine to six. Work is more fluid, which can be also be a curse. But because of that fluidity of like, oh, it's a nice day. The sun is shining. Um, I have an hour and a half to my next Zoom. I'm going to go head out. Whereas back in the olden days, I wouldn't necessarily mm-hmm. like just take off and do something. I'd still be sitting in my computer because I'm working. So now there's mm-hmm. kind of more of a like, well, no, I'm going to go out for a walk. I'm at home and I'm come back. And then my, my work has shifted in terms of time, time of the day, because I'm not constrained to the kind of, you know, at work versus at home. So again, it's, it's kind of that sweet sour thing of it's, uh, it can be good because I have more flexibility. So like yesterday after my Steelers were round, you know, routing their, <laughs> I won't mention the other team, but now we're nine and zero. Hello, I'm just saying, go Steelers. But um, as yeah. it was obvious, as is obvious that the game was in a, in the bag, I just came down to the basement and just started working to get a, a head start. And it didn't feel onerous. It didn't feel like a drag, or it didn't feel like oh, I have to work. I can't believe I'm working on a Sunday afternoon. It's more like mm-hmm. this is cool. I'm getting things done, and I'm good about it, and I'm good with it because during the week. I go for mm-hmm. a walk if it's nice outside, or I go to the Safeway mm-hmm. every day to the grocery store to to see people. So it kind of balances yeah. out, and I feel I feel more relaxed and more peaceful about the whole flow of things. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I um I appreciate my mornings a lot more, and I feel like there's a motivation now to get up in the mornings to try and enjoy that time because of that maybe flexibility and fluidity. I think that from a, from a home life standpoint, that's really important. I think the other thing is because I realize that, you know, I still go into work, which I, you know, I know it's not the same for a lot of people. And I'm, I, in some respects still with COVID, I feel privileged that I do get a chance to go into work. There's a, work family that's present and you know I still am able to maintain that that ability to work from my office and see patients and go to the hospital 
that in itself is something that I'm so very happy that I'm able to do. But I think when I also understand the importance of when I'm home, because my husband, he's worked from home and his life is sort of work and home, all at home. That when I'm home, that we both spend time together as as a couple. And I think that that sort of, I try my best to kind of keep work at work and the mornings when I have them for work, but other t- the rest of that time is spent with, with him. And I think that, you know, that that's important also for, for um, maintaining my home relationship and keeping it strong. So I think those are important things I've learned, especially with the pandemic, but these are all changes in work-life balance that have happened, but I found that that's been very rewarding as well. This has been great advice. I love how you've balanced your story with work and home. And I think you've given us a lot of good advice and things to think about and ways we can look for opportunities to just improve um, what we do and what our gifts and talents are. And you've obviously done that. And I miss seeing you, but I'm so happy um, for you and your career and everything's working out. Any any last words before we close off for the day? I cast again, and it was just nice to talk to you, Kim. It's been a while. I know. I do. I do miss. I do miss faces and voices, especially since it's been many months. I know since you know I haven't been to Baltimore and seen seen the the team. It's been over a year now for the leadership group, but yeah, just nice to kind of catch up. So thank yeah. you. No, thank you, folks. You've been listening to Dr. Vinny Dillon on our Triple H series, The Habits and Hacks from Hopkins. I hope you join in next time to the Faculty Factory Podcast. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.